Have you ever seen something in a theater that you just couldn't explain? Or have you ever thought about if dying really ain't that bad? And do you spend sleepless nights wondering exactly what happened to Natalie Wood that night on the boat? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time for you to exit stage death. Exit Stage Death is the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows, releasing bi-weekly on Tuesday starting May 24th. So if you want to find out which Broadway house is the most haunted, talk about what killed our favorite Broadway flops, and learn about the murderous path of Mama Rose that took Gypsy Rose Lee to stardom, it's time for Places Actors. Thank, Thank you, you places. places. It's time to exit stage death. Welcome back, Serial Killers, to a very special bonus episode, because apparently, now that I have time, I am a review podcast as well. Uh, but it's really just for specific things. And when I knew this was coming out, and when I suddenly knew I was going to be back on land for this, there was but one person that I had to reach out and bring back for this. Today, we're talking about the sequel to Disney's Enchanted, Disenchanted, which debuted uh, one week ago on Disney Plus when this debuts. So it's given everybody a week to watch. Uh, so I brought back Heather Gilbert. To oh my the God, show. I'm Heather, back. welcome back. Hi. <laughs> I mean, and if anybody doesn't remember, Heather was on to talk Enchanted on Dull Whip and Dreams. I think it was like episode eight of the original nine, show. So it's been, I think, yeah. Uh, nine, yeah. So it's been two and a half years. So if anybody hasn't, go back and listen to that. I think it'll be a very interesting thing. Before what a two and a are. half years. <laughs> well, listen, that was pre-COVID. Like we recorded the fall of two, uh, 20 or 2019. Something that, like that, yeah. Yeah. And then that, that episode came out literally a month before everything shut down like three so, yeah. weeks before yeah. Broadway closed it was literally and it's a very different world now but also we didn't actually know that the sequel was happening then you know Disney had rumored a lot that year mm-hmm. at Disney 20 at D23 so much had been debuted about upcoming projects this had been mentioned the Disney parks expansions had been mentioned like it was a it was going Disney to be a Disney plus had just been released had, or was just a about just, to be. Yes, yes. I think we had recorded like maybe two or three weeks after its launch. Something like that. And, and then so, I think Frozen 2 had just come out as well when we just came out in theaters. And we yeah. were talking about how excited we were to see the Jungle Cruise. I mean, that to put a ta- timestamp on it for Disney Ania yep. people, like that's and, that's around uh, time period. And you know, we can say COVID had a lot to do with it, but as a or Orlando native yourself who's grown up in the shadow of the kingdom and myself an ex-member of the cult we know how we know that covid was an excuse for disney to get rid of some things or not do some things they already were wanting to get rid of but had no excuse to but that is not what we're here today today (laughs) is a rare success that we are seeing recently of companies investing in sequels and reboots that they not they might not necessarily have done but then found money and time or stars found money and time and in this situation stars aligned and disenchanted actually happened it Um, happened 15 years later they made it work so it's you know so it's been two years since we talked the first time it's probably been almost exactly two years since we recorded this honestly it's probably been about two years uh more more or less exactly maybe a little less if we summon another pandemic i would like to personally apologize in advance and say i had no idea 
It was not my you know intention. What? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to put it out there. Let's summon the alien overlords. I think that's just what we deserve at this Much point. Much better through line. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So Heather, what were your, ex uh, you know, we had the two years to think about it. Uh, we got the trailer at D23 in August. Mm -hmm. So we've had about three months to kind of think about this. What was your expectations going in from what we'd heard? And then your expectations from the trailer. I knew that we were going to see the move from New York to the suburbs, which is definitely a, a big thing here in the city, which I now live in. I, mm -hmm. I am originally from Orlando, but I still live in New York. Um, and that is certainly like a theme that we also saw a lot of in COVID with a lot of yeah. city folk moving away and expanding into the outer boroughs and the suburbs and wanting more space and making bigger life decisions. Um, we knew there was a baby we didn't know what role that baby was going to play. Um, turns out plot device, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly. Uh, truly, truly. Uh, knew there was going to be Broadway involvement, was not expecting how much musical involvement, pleasantly yeah. surprised so. Um, did love the shout out to just like Broadway people commuting on the Metro North. Oh <laughs> yeah. James Lego Hartman wrote and Harada shout out. Also we'll, we'll get into this because they had a much larger role originally. Apparently I this movie that. was very much cut down. Yes. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that, but yeah, keep going. Um, we also, I don't know if this is from the trailer, but we did also hear rumblings of disgruntled test screenings earlier yeah. in March of 21, where they had to do some reshoots, which included them coming back to New York. Um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, I think the big thing that I got from the trailer specifically, which didn't surprise me and seemed to follow through with some lines from the original movie is that there would be if a disconnect or disenchantment between stepmother and stepdaughter, which of course is a classic fairy tale trope, but which we assumed was going to be subverted. And it turns out maybe not so. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say in the beginning, I was actually kind of excited to for them to give Amy Adams a little more to do tonally with because mm -hmm. Giselle is a really interesting character because she had layers while maintaining a very similar energy through the whole thing which is a huge accomplishment as an actor because a lot of times the biggest thing is you're very one note you're up here you're down here yeah. and she's very much like here big eyes and kind of keeps that going and this time they were going to give her a little more because Amy is 15 years older um, I, I did and a few know, more Oscar nominations under her belt as well more I mean. Oscar nominations. oh <laughs> Yeah, a, a much higher booking rate. I would argue yes. Patrick Dempsey has a much lower booking rate now. And she was, as I called it, I did call this, that she became a producer of the movie, which I'm sure uh, was a big contract negotiation I, as well. I, Good on her. Also, like Disney, you know, that was when Disney was testing their toes with the Dina Menzel, and now she is a golden child with Disney. She will be a Disney legend. It's a matter of she, when, not if. Yeah, yeah. Wait. Did or is she? Did she, she get it? I think she, all of them, I think she and the Frozen cast became a Disney legend this year at D23. <sighs> okay. I will, I will confirm that at some we, point. We will, I currently cannot confirm or deny, but I'm sure there will be an annotation at the end of this podcast. I mean, and it makes sense, honestly, because I also love that everybody's leaning into that Adina looks fabulous with blunt bangs. I with love the it. Them. She looks so good. Honestly, and like, it's really however you like embrace aging in yourself. Cause I mean, 
she is someone who also just looks as fantastic as she did when she was in rent like she just still looks very much herself um and listen you know, maddie as as a as a jewish woman with bangs myself i can honestly say bangs are cheaper than botox listen if I they could, hide a multitude of sins <laughs> if i could i would thank god i'm still a little chubby because it fills out the cheekbones <laughs> see that's the thing with diet culture what you fail to realize everyone who's trying to lose weight is it goes everywhere including the lovely fat pockets on your cheeks that keep you young and beautiful just listen <laughs> i just went through a major medical thing and dropped 100 pounds and the way my Oof. body is adjusting to itself and the face looks different i keep going oh no maybe we are going to be that 30 year old gay man doing just a little filler just a little but that's just not what we're here for. no no that's no, no. no. But I have very much the same thing uh, again i am a, a huge stand of enchanted because i love anytime a company embraces itself and its legacy and gives itself a love letter and mm -hmm. That is what Enchanted was. And I was like, oh, it'll be really interesting to see what else Disney accesses in what they're kind of doing. Um, and again, maybe it's because I didn't do my research. I didn't realize how few of the original creatives were coming back for this, which... I'm not entirely sure that was your research in and of itself, Maddie, because similar to how you and I had some issues with doing research on the first podcast, mm -hmm. Disney, as we have mentioned was particularly tight-lipped on production there weren't a lot of exclusive interviews um there wasn't a lot of behind the scenes content that was made available to us some of that may have been because they didn't want extraneous people on sets that were filmed during covid let's also be very clear about that um oh, yeah. and oh, as yeah. somebody who did do some filming during covid it's a completely different environment and your sets are scaled down you don't have a lot of like on-set photography, I'm sure it was very limited, but so um, so I'm sure were a lot of like some of those um, miscellaneous behind the scenes gems that you and I love to like soak up when we do our research. But even um, then, I feel like I realized I didn't look at the IMDb until I was watching it and I went, oh, oh, okay. Like I had no idea that Alan Shankman was directing this until I was watching it today. And I went- No, I didn't either, which surprised me. I'm like, what? why not Kevin Lima who- who you and I love, like what, what happened? Mm -hmm. Um, and especially in like the writer's credits, we'll get into this later. So oh, yes. it's all <laughs> like, really, I was excited. I will do anything for like, I will see Amy Adams at anything. I sat through into the woods in central park because of Amy Adams. Amen. Uh, and that is not what we're here to talk about. Cause I have I no wish. great to say about that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, I, I was very hopeful. And so what we're going to do in this beginning, we're going to give it kind of our, general review give uh like upfront kind of our what out of 10 that we would give this mm -hmm. movie um without spoilers that way anybody can listen to this that hasn't seen it yet isn't totally and then spoiled. press pause and come back to it later <laughs> and then i will give you a moment and then we will launch in because this one is a hard one to talk about without picking the without talking about kind of the plot devices and the story and everything so uh heather i guess go in what would your kind of just general quick review of this be mm -hmm. and what would you give it out of 10 I would give it a seven out of 10. Okay. I have to automatically acknowledge my own biases towards the original movie because there is no way that I can compare like any sequel to my all time favorite movie. I think that's just fair to say. I knew I wasn't going into Godfather two, for example, which not only like built upon the foundation of the grandness of the original and was going to exceed it. So I don't want to say I already went in with low expectations because that's not quite what I mean by that. But what I mean is I knew that I was not going to have the same feeling of 
wonder and the longevity of attachment that I was going to have to the first movie. Just in the fact that as of this recording, it's only been released for two days and that's, you know, well, good and fair. I really enjoyed it. I think I bought into the product they were selling as far as I inherently understood that this was as much as people argue about what is a streaming service, this was a made for TV movie that I felt was done very well for the constraints that they had for a very healthily budgeted made for TV movie. I loved that they went all in on the musical aspect of it. Although I know there's some dramaturgy issues there that we'll talk about later. Um, And I just really had fun with it. Mm -hmm. I bought the product they were selling like it was a, oh, I don't know, a nice little hot toddy at the end of a fall day, but maybe not the full Thanksgiving meal, if that makes any sense. So like the dessert at the end of being bloated from Thanksgiving. <laughs> wow. I don't know where the, it's, it's very close to Thanksgiving. I think I just have food on my mind, but, um, Absolutely. Absolutely. but spoiler free. I think that's, that's what I can say. I gave it a solid seven out of 10. And where I'm going to normally everybody kind of knows me as somebody that's going to give a little bit of carte blanche, give a little grace and, uh, and room. I am going to give this a five and a half out of 10. Mm-hmm. I didn't as quickly jump on board with them with the, the, they were setting some new parameters that I don't think they made clear enough for me to get from the beginning. And that's and fair. For me, and for me, I thought the few Disney Easter eggs that they gave us were a little heavy handed and the movie was happening at such a pace, oddly, that I missed any other um, of the Easter eggs. And let's be honest, that's what kind of made Enchanted. And yeah. I think it's hard to not compare a sequel to its original when you know, like I'm a big fan of saying when sequels are better. Like I love Sister Act, but I worship Sister oh, Act. Oh, Back too. in the Habit is amazing. You can't I tell love, me otherwise. I love Home Alone, but I worship Home Alone too. Like, as long as you just, cut out the Donald Trump cameo, it's a perfect movie. Oh, yes. And even uh, going back to Frozen, I even prefer Frozen 2 to Frozen. Because it's a I much thought- stronger story. And who knew that they dismantle colonialism? In Frozen right. 2. <laughs> and I think I think it's because they let you can tell Frozen was built in a boardroom and mm-hmm. they let kind of Bobby and Krista and the creative team do Frozen in the silly wacky way that it was gonna be done. And I think that's what a lot of this movie lacked. I think mm-hmm. what they did in many ways was they were trying to copy what Disney moments were made great, which is like where we'll talk about the score soon. I feel like they were trying to replicate contemporary Disney sound without paying homage to contemporary Disney sound. All right. Um, yeah. I, th- I think altogether for me, this gave me, you know, that one animation company that was making bargain bin Walmart versions of all the Disney movies in the nineties. Yes. That's, yes, that's I do. Like the off brand Aladdin. That was just yes, 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 so yes. strange. Yes, that's what this gave me. And it's not a bad thing because Amy Adams and like Maya Rudolph give you some absolute gold. I love the girl that's playing Morgan. I immediately went, I immediately went, wait, was she in Jagged Little Pill? Was she in this? Because she, if, if she does not get a Broadway contract because of this movie, I will be surprised. Because she's very too, Especially since Cindy Tolan's the casting director. Exactly. I thought she was tremendous. I, I, I 
thought I, I enjoyed the performances. I thought they let everybody chew the scenery. Lovely. Uh, and, and even like um, Gemma Mays and Yvette Nicole Brown, I thought were lovely. Oh, MVPs, for sure. The, the whole cast kind of got what was happening, and you could tell they were trying their best. So I think, spoiler-free-wise, spoiler that is where I am, that it left a lot to be desired. I think everyone should still watch it to have your own opinion, and mm -hmm. don't let me take your enjoyment away of this movie. My thing for this is... A much like Hocus Pocus 2, which I actually think was more successful storytelling wise than this movie was. Um, and it's hard, again, not to compare both of those because they've come out within a month of each other. And they also are doing the same thing where they have well-loved legacies of yes. sequels that might not have happened otherwise. And if it wasn't for Disney Plus, they would not have happened. And so, huge chunks of time for us to build up the anticipation that yeah. honestly... I would argue that if this film came out like two years after it was released, yeah. we'd be having a different discussion. However, oh, yeah. it didn't. It did and not. I, I might argue that I think the 10 year mark would have been the best, like two, uh, 2018, 2019 would have been the best time for this movie to come out. Um, but, you know, Amy Adams being an absolute powerhouse star that she yeah. is it was hard to get her back. Um, so I think that's where I am. Spoiler free wise. Um, but, you know, I do think it had some charms. Did I, I, it was one that, you know, it's never a good thing with a streaming movie when you're clicking the screen on your tablet to see how much longer you have. Which is an issue I have with Disney Plus, which I think this still counts as, as spoiler free. Yeah. But one of the issues, as you've said, one of the joys of watching Enchanted is finding the Easter eggs, the original Enchanted, not Disenchanted. And it is a it is a jewel box. It is, it is a, a you know, a good, blah, 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 blah. sorry, there we go. This is how you know I'm not a professional podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's just, it's so chock full of these nuggets of delightful imagery that really hardcore Disney fans know and love. And something that I have as an issue with, I guess you would call it the interfacing of Disney Plus, is it makes it incredibly difficult to go back and screen cap and find them and freeze frame all of those things. Because at least as of this recording, Disney plus does not have, um, I don't know what you call it, like a picture in box yes. of the frames as you rewind and fast forward. And it only goes by 10 seconds ahead, 10 seconds behind. And you can't see the runtime of any movie on Disney plus. And it's as, as somebody who likes to dissect movies, because that is something that I find enjoyment in, and as something who likes to look at media from a critical eye, looking at a product from those grid points is really important for research purposes such as this. And Disney Plus makes that very difficult to do. So as I was watching Disenchanted, I saw Easter eggs within the first five seconds of that animation sequence. Oh, yes. And I, I, you know, I guess I could pause it, pause it, pause it, pause it, but it would, which maybe is part of the trick that they have is maybe they're trying to push up views. Yep. So you do go back and dig, mm -hmm. dig, dig for all of those Easter eggs. Um, but it's not a user-friendly experience from that point of view. And that is definitely a critique I have with the interfacing of Disney+, Plus, especially with a movie like this. I agree. And it's different on a television and it's different on mobile because on mobile, I can scrub on the bottom and you can mm, see how yeah. long it 
Yes, but only on my phone and my tablet, but not on my laptop or on like the big TV in our And I wanted room. to watch this on the biggest screen that I had. So I put it right on my television because I right. wanted to try to replicate the movie experience as much as I had when I went in person. Um, and Disney did, as, as far as this recording goes, it's not available in the movie theaters. So. And it won't be, unfortunately. It and it was also, I lived be. in New York at that time. So watching Enchanted in Times Square was- Beautiful, beautiful Spanish. moment walk right back out but you know so i think this is a good moment where we're going to tell you to uh take a sip take a pause you better pause if you don't want anything spoiled uh, drink some tea because we're gonna spill it it's true we're gonna take a sip and then great so now we you are in spoiler land at this point so we're gonna jump in i think there's a line that says it best early on and morgan says it we're living in the full cliche fantasy here and i couldn't tell from a storytelling standpoint, whether that was good or bad for me in this movie. Fair. And they went all in. They did. So you're either along for the ride or you're out. And I think the thing was for me, uh, I think I've got the note here of when I felt the first song felt natural Mm -hmm. and it wasn't for a long time because that was the whole point of the end of the movie. Giselle didn't need to sing it anymore, like a princess moment sing. And she like found herself and was like a dressmaker, all these things that seem to have been abandoned in this film. And in Enchanted, that song became Carrie Underwood, who was a pop star at the time. And it was a background song in the soundtrack very clearly versus the the cast recording aspect of Let's Sing Live. Because I think actually the last person who sings live in Enchanted is Robert. Yes. It's the moment in the ballroom, which is like a beautiful watershed moment for him accepting her as she is and meeting her where she's at from a relationship standpoint. But from a dramatological standpoint, it made sense why they transitioned out of that. And I completely understand your argument where it's like, then why are we back in? And you could also be like, all right, well, she's singing in, in the house. Um, does everybody else hear the music or is she just, just, she yeah. just doing it until they transition into um, the magical realm. Yep. So I, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. I think for me, I just, I bought it. I don't know how else to say it. I just, I completely like bought into it. And I think I'm also just so hungry for original movie musicals. I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be a delight. I've missed like, you know, the wonderful world of Disney, which I, I have to come back to because I know you and I mentioned this a lot before we got on this, but I think what this movie Disenchanted reminded me of the most was the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella Mm -hmm. down to Mm -hmm. the fact that, Tell me, I dare you to look me in the face and tell me that Amy Adams was not channeling Bird at Peter's Wicked Stepmother. She absolutely was. Down to the costume with the peacock feathers, which I know Burnett wouldn't wear peacock, but the color palette and the bright red hair Mm -hmm. piled up high with the curls cascading down. Well, and that was a direct reference to Susan Sarandon's costume in the original as well. Mm -hmm. It's Oh, with the side curl. Yes, of course. Side curl, but also the like the forming of the collar, but instead of it being leather, uh, Giselle had the peacock feathers, Mm -hmm. which, um, yeah, I think I have the note in here that the only song that felt organic to me that actually came out of the story was the song directly after the fight with Morgan that leads to the wish. That's the one that felt really organic to me. So for you, it's like when Mimi's dying at the end of Rent, that that moment. Before no. wishing somebody back into health is the only yeah, time yeah, that it yeah. felt real for you. That's so sad. No. No, well, it was just that's the moment that it felt organic, and also that like, because the problem for me, I also have this note is the songs. I did not think 
where because I hate saying something is good or something is bad, but they again, I think I'm going to keep referencing. They felt like they were they were trying to copy a Pascal and Paul song, or they were mm-hmm. trying to copy a Lopez and Lopez song. There was very little Lin Manuel Miranda in here, which surprised me because he's Disney's golden child right now. Yeah. I'm actually shocked he didn't have a cameo as well. Um, but these songs felt like when MTI alters shows for junior and school versions and ah! adds things. That's to me what it felt like. And so for me, it's not good or bad. I just don't know if it was the most effective thing for me but i also get where like she's reverting this idea that she's reverting back to what she wanted before because mm-hmm. this is very much act two of into the woods where right. the baker's he says i wish at the end of act one and you're like bitch you got everything yeah. you got everything <laughs> it is that kind of structure as well well um, and it's funny you mentioned into the woods because i swear every time she's saying i wish i'm like is that is that steven and alan giving a nod to the late great steven sondheim Mm-hmm. it very it well could, could be very could be i thought her saying it about 10 times was too much though Valid. Uh, the first one when she just went i wish and it was i was like oh i love that that was really great but then yeah. it was something very cool and calm i do think some of the times that are most effortless on screen are when maya rudolph is there and amy adams is with her i think the two of them spar beautifully i together. loved every single scene that they were in together both in the pre um pre-fantasy reality and in the fantasy realm because I just I think it was that aspect of like how Maya manages you know acting in both realities as a heightened character that makes sense in both realities it's just it's delicious I I I love her I love her I'm so glad this was such inspired casting for Maya Rudolph 100% and when I heard that she was in it I was like great I'm on I am on board I'm 110% in I love that Adina was back because I still agreed that Nancy was still not given a fair fair cut in that original I Um, had that note from re-listening I remember I love that she was there. She feels very much like an NPC in a game that you're supposed to meet in this. Uh, Ooh, D&D reference. Bit. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, and even just like she feels a little bit like a Skyrim character too that you know you have to meet along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love that she's the one that gives Morgan agency with the tree uh, because she's the only one who truly understands existing in both worlds. Right. She fully has embraced it. And Adina, I think Adina has this wonderful gift. Um, You can say what you will. I don't actually love her as a musical person. I do love her as an actress. It's weird. I do love when she sings though. Um, But I, oh, where was my, oh, I think she fully was the only one who was able to absolutely commit to understanding, giving their character a little more nuance in this. So I think Mm. she actually had the most character growth and duality. And you saw those moments where she, she understands what playing the queen is, but then she also understands like being a woman in the world and what it means to like this idea of what happily ever after means in our world Mm -hmm. and the fact that was there for that i actually really appreciated it and to me it went beyond her just being an exposition point so that is something that i appreciated to also the fact that like also not to ignore that like she and morgan did have a a relationship when morgan was younger oh she was robert's fiance 
at least we all forget, which means yeah. I would hope they at least dated for at least a year before. Oh, I, I mean, and I loved her. Hey, girlfriend, you know, was Nancy's I thing know. with Morgan in the original. And so the fact that like Morgan still is connected and appreciated and that gives us that idea that maybe they have like they have come to our world to visit multiple mm -hmm. times. They, like there is that continued relationship that is, you know, she's Auntie Nancy now. She's not you know, stepmom, but that is something that I thought was actually really done effectively in this, in this. Um, I do think the men were less than effective in how they were both written, but it's also kind of fine. Yeah. Two, two notes that I had about that one McDreamy sings. That's a direct quote, like delightful surprise. I know he did like a little touch in the ballroom, but like, come on, that was just like, you know, a dude singing in the car along to, I don't know, um, Nickelback. What, what did men listen yeah. to? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know the Beatles <laughs> something um so it was I was really fun to hear him like sing sing um I was a little surprised that they went with cartoon physics on him fighting the dragon though because that was actually I I almost thought that was a little bit of a missed opportunity there from a dramatological standpoint and kind of feeding off of that I do wish that there were a little bit more pockets of reality peeking through mm -hmm. before the fantasy realm took over completely and I loved Gabrielle's singing voice and I thought she was a lovely actress and I thought she was a great adult Morgan I mean she actually looked like Rachel Covey which I really appreciated yeah. like they didn't I'm not saying Gabrielle is not a pretty girl but they could have gone like Instagram model on her and they yeah. didn't which I loved but I did think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity from um, a storytelling perspective to either have her sing in a different style because all of the songs were very stylistically similar. So if she could have sung to like an acoustic guitar and have a little bit more of like a breathy pop voice, um, just as a general idea or really bold here, maybe she couldn't sing. And that's where she was like, wow, something's really off here. Like if I'm the only person in this world who can't sing, that would have also set her off as yeah. a secondary protagonist and to recognize that the world around them was different because it didn't really happen until she realized that Giselle was becoming evil. Yep. And I'm not sure I, that was the best way to go about it personally. I, You know what? As you're saying that, it made me, every time Giselle gets a little more evil with the striking of the clock, which I actually thought was a lovely storytelling moment. I love the glitter in the eyes. That would have been a great moment if the clock is the moment where everybody kind of snaps out of it a little and mm -hmm. comes to maybe it's just Robert and it's just uh, Morgan. Maybe right. that's just maybe it's just the, the two of them. And. I do think because then to have him completely snap out of it with the dragon would have actually been really cool. It could because, have been, yeah. Because he's a little Cinderella's prince and into the woods coming and going through a lot of this. <laughs> and so, it, you know, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but, uh, you know, it is, it is that moment where, but it did also go great i know he's not going to save the day and that's also kind of what i want out of the stories sure. i don't want the men to save the day though i did hit a point right before the end i was like who gonna save the day like what is happening the here? pacing at the end was definitely oh. a little bit slow and i i think the end specifically although i think they did a fine job i could also see that's kind of where the seams of like maybe this is where some of the reshoots happen because a big critique i i did have dramatologically 
I hope I'm saying that word correctly. It's one of those things with the, we're we're going (laughs) to roll with it. It's fine. It's fine. Willful ignorance. It's all good. Um, I do think that one of the issues I did have with it is I wish they had, I wish, I wish they had set the rules up from the beginning with the wand because it did feel like they were making them up as they go. Like, especially in that final scene, it was like, Oh, Giselle is part of the magic. I think it would have raised the stakes if we had had that information sooner. And I think even with like the information of, I I kind of get like the villain understanding like, Oh, by the stroke of midnight, everything does, but maybe Giselle should have known it. It just felt very copy and pasted at the end there although it was a beautiful moment i that's kind of where i can see like this might have been let's take this particular scene out of google docs let's have somebody comment and throw in the beta reader and this Mm -hmm. was the add-on in the in in the middle it just wasn't as seamless as i think it could have been and i have a feeling that was because of the reshoots that happened after the test screenings I also think that if we were going to get the scroll, which I think is an interesting character, he's very much a calcifer, um, uh, is very Billy Crystal, uh, very, you can tell they, they Jewishly toned him just a little, which is a very Disney thing. I don't know if that was intentional or not. At least he's not a villain, I say, as a Jewish woman, unfortunately. Um, Listen, I had to grow up with a big bad wolf. You, you saw the unedited one with the nose, uh, right? uh, Yes, I did. Mm. Yes, I did. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm, We're not mm -hmm. here. Walt Disney's anti-Semitism, but I could talk about that for hours. Um, (laughs) But I, I wish that we saw and just heard they introduced an exposition dump moment with him, and then didn't give it to us, and then had Maya Rudolph do the expedition dump, exposition dump. So I think if we had seen things happening with Giselle and it was being overscored with him telling her everything. Mm-hmm. And so she then knows, and it's, she makes that moment of understanding that she, cause we need that moment where she realizes that she had a life before and she has a new life now. And right. she was handed ultimate power. And to see that moment that she decided to have that spade in her pocket of knowing that the most powerful person is going to die if this happens, which keeps her being the most powerful of all. Because mm-hmm. um, lean in enough to the idea of two villains because they kept joking about it. And I was like, that's, that's your, that is your deviation. Go with that because that's the joke with Disney recently is we think a villain's going to be a villain, but then they're not actually the villain. Which um, is even something we talked about all the way back in uh, episode one, uh, which I, I, I did take a note of it because you had such a great quote. I had to, I had to mark it down, but it was, but, but, but you said, this is a direct quote from Maddie Limerick. In modern Disney movies, there is no real villain to a movie. We are our own worst villain. What we do to ourselves are villainous things. And if that's not a summation of what the conflict in this particular movie is, it's that Giselle becomes her own villain. And it reminded me of that. um, I mean, it's a Pinterest thing that um, evil queens are the princesses who didn't get saved. Yes. Yeah. And that's very much what this is because Giselle actually never became a princess when we think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I mean, even because you brought up Encanto with Abuela just as we were talking, it's like, honestly, she did become the villain because of the choice. And I still haven't seen Encanto, but because of TikTok, I feel like I have seen every second of that fucking movie. (laughs) You've definitely seen every possible viewpoint of commentary if you've been on the TikTok. Every version of white, what uh, we don't talk about Bruno, which I hated TikTok for forever, which is why I still haven't seen (laughs) it. Just don't watch Amanda Plummer's uh, pressure and you're fine. (laughs) 
I did, and then was so disappointed when I found out that Neil Gaiman is married to her, which I went, oh. can I have nothing? Can I have nothing? There's um, no such thing as ethical consumerism. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's that idea that Abuela isn't necessarily the villain, but because she made decisions to protect her family the way that she did, she did become a villain in one way, shape, or form. She at least became the antagonist. She became the antagonist in Maribel's story. So, um, uh, so this with that, I think it's it is that same thing. But they also gave us the villain. Now, this is a point where I think I, we need to talk about the creatives, because oh yes, the okay. So the writer of this. This is their first big writing thing. Do you know what they their last writing credit was as a story editor? Oh, without looking at my notes, because I'm going to try to be a good girl here. Um, once Upon a Time, maybe? Yeah. And it's, oh, not even, it's not even early Once Upon a Time. It is the last two and a half seasons of Once Upon a Time. So they were the story editor when the show transitioned away from the original Storybrooke cast into Older Henry, oh. which is where a lot of and you know once upon a time can have a lot of things said about it they're really good arcs they're really bad arcs but the writing was inconsistent at best um, it's kind of like and, heroes but with disney characters to be yeah. honest and that and the first so, season was super solid and then you lost your arcs and had to find your way well, around and and it was one of those things that before that her only writing credit was as a story editor for a short film so when you're going from you know, Once Upon a Time, which did pack a whole lot of storytelling. And it means they do have the idea of working with Disney Legacy. I think 2016 mm -hmm. would have been when um, when they started. That would have been, I think, the Hades arc right around that time. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. right after, um, it was after Frozen. I think it was the Underworld stuff. It was Dark Swan. It was when Emma became the Dark One. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't care if I spoil Once Upon a Time for any of you because it's been over for It's years. been out. Sorry. Like, I do care about spoiling Disenchanted because of this recording yes, two days. But, exactly. like, you, you've had years. It's time. The final episode is 2018. I still haven't watched the last season. Actually, I haven't watched the last two seasons. I will get back to it at some point, I'm sure. But I think with that and then the fact that the story, there were four people that are credited with story by. So when you've got four people coming up with a story, one person that's getting a screenwriting credit, which means it's all of those people plus a a bunch of editors and things right. and then the original the original writer from the first film is only credited with creating the characters and then you've got your producer who is also your director who is adam shankman now adam shankman has done some really cool broadway things but and he, he did does. hairspray right the movie yes which is better than most musical adaptations he and also has James Marsden. If, if y'all were like, oh, I wish James Marsden sang more. He does in the Hairspray movie. Have fun there. I mean, also Adam, clearly like the rest of us, is crossing James Marsden, and I'm not mad at it. Um, at all. I think, <laughs> I think the Hairspray one actually is very successful in many, many ways. Um, and he got rid of my least favorite song in the show for the movie, which I am very thankful for. Um, there you go. <laughs> but I'm also going to say that he did the Rock of Ages movie, which is, in my opinion, one of the worst adaptations of a musical ever. Now, Heather knows this about me not a ton of people know this i worked rock of ages for a very long time in new york off oh, broadway yes. and in both broadway theaters it is something that i am very passionate about because it is a jukebox musical with a a book that was just flawless and yeah. i think did really a lot of good things there are some things i would change now because it's not 20 2009 
uh, so we don't make uh, uh, certain jokes about trans sex workers. We don't make certain other jokes. Those are things that I would change. And I know they have changed in the current UK run of the show, which I appreciate because the Brits love Rock of Ages, as everyone should. But that movie was a huge deviation from the source material, from mm -hmm. what made good. And the movie is very bad. Um, and again, you had the producers of that as well. That's a very different conversation uh, about those producers producing Broadway who are movie guys. But then you've got Adam who only has about six directing credits, two of which are two episodes of AJ and the Queen for Netflix with RuPaul, which if anybody has seen is one of the worst, worst television shows of all time. It had RuPaul's so much potential. And um, it just I do, crashed and burned. I do love that the guy who was the the boyfriend who ripped Ruby off and stole all the money and things uh, is is Pug in She-Hulk. And he is so good in She-Hulk. Oh, I didn't he know just, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, like, he did his best in AJ and the Queen, but like, wolf. But and then <laughs> Adam, I think, directed six episodes of Glee in the last three seasons of Glee, which... You can say a lot of things about Glee, but the writing was never a strong point in the, the performances is what kind of brought that show through. But going through, you know, he did produce and he choreographed for Hocus Pocus 2. Mm -hmm. But I also question a lot of his like musical, like what he does in musical theater is well is choreographing for Golden Age, big spectacle stuff. Um, and because I think he did. A, uh, how to succeed in businesses revival which was really good yeah um someone will correct me if i'm wrong on that but i just don't think he was the right choice for this i'm not sure a musical theater director was actually the best choice for this i think Ooh, having somebody hot take from maddie for sure I, I think some like where i will always say that i don't agree that most musicals are being directed by people with no musical experience like i am expecting wicked to be a train wreck John Chu is a great director, but I don't think he was effective within the Heights and how he stole, told story through music. And in this, I don't think the music was actually there to tell story. I think it was there to heighten the moments to make us, I guess, realize the more I'm thinking about your standpoint is to think about how regressed Giselle is now. Mm -hmm. But I think we needed to see moments of that of her devolving back uh, instead of just giving us those great Schmeagol, Gollum, and Sybil moments, which yeah. Amy handled masterfully. But I think the creatives of this, not even being the scenic and costume designers, the cinematographer from the original, I think all of that is kind of a crime. And what led this astray, I think for me, in a lot of places, because the performers are doing their level fucking best with this. Oh, um, A plus to all of the performers there. I have nothing to say about the cast whatsoever. I think the casting was inspired. Thank you, Cindy, for bringing them all together and for giving my girl Anne Harada a job. Really appreciate that. And should always wear also, I also I just love anytime James Igelhart Monroe shows up in anything because he is also a gem. Uh, I wish I knew the name of the gentleman that was part of their trio who was the third. Too. I, I have IMDB up. I feel bad that I don't know him as well because the looked, three of them were delight. I did look him up on Playboy Bolt and he's also a Broadway performer. So I feel like that casting of those three was very specific. And for anyone who doesn't know, Anne Harada and James Iglehart were very upfront about this, that they were a huge part of the movie and their entire subplot got cut. The entire subplot got cut. So I really would love to, um, uh, I would love to see that version of the movie. 
I think I'll I'll see if I can reach out to Anne and talk to you privately about like what what it was because I don't think she can say she actually did oh. bless her heart she posted some pictures and took them down real quick and it was like oh, well <laughs> you, you know how the mouse is you know how the mouse is um <laughs> I I think for me uh, feel free to chime in because I don't want to get like too woke and women's libby about it but what purpose did it serve the story to get rid of Giselle's, Giselle's career and have Ooh. her just so a mom in this wanting woman because to me that means that Giselle was super flighty and like just let the dress business go because to me I wanted to see necessarily that she was super fulfilled and she was maybe seeing Morgan and Robert not be super fulfilled in New York anymore mm -hmm. and that she decided to step away and found the Monroeville also for anybody wondering Monroeville is about 20 miles north of Poughkeepsie so we're talking <laughs> We're talking 110 minutes up uh, from Manhattan, uh, or you can take the Metro North up. As they made very clear, you can take the Metro North, which just cracks me up because I have to take the Metro North to, to my um, my day corporate job sometimes, okay. and it's just, oh, it's a track. It is a track, and it's, and it's like going to a different country. Oh, it's so true. But it's up by where I lived for undergrad in the Hudson Valley. And it's beautiful. And I love it up there. But it is very different. And those villages and those areas can be kind of picturesque, uh, picturesque in that way. And, and the Tudor so styling it, and the storybook yeah, houses. I was, I, was, I was wondering if they were trying to tell us if that was Long Island or if that was going to be like Westchester or if they were in Connecticut. So I did think it was very interesting that they... Uh, it definitely felt did. like the country of New England, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yes, it did. It did. But I guess for you, what did it kind of mean to not have Giselle? They set Giselle up with so much at the end of the last movie to they then did. be like, none of that matters. What did that mean to you as a kind of a... I think a this comes down to, again, a dramatological problem because how easy would it have been for the one scene that actually was in New York for her to say, I'm on maternity leave. This is a great time for us to move. Yep. Could have been ADR. Yep even, you know, additional dialogue recording for those of you at home. Um, because I do definitely agree. I, I certainly understand like women taking maternity leave. In fact, it should be, you know, a granted yeah. given in the United States of America. And as of this recording, it is not still. Um, but I think, again, that's one of the issues of like, I'm not sure how fine tooth combed they really looked at the script and how it was edited together at the end of it. It's still definitely, I, I completely understand where it feels like a B plus instead of an A plus. And I think that's an aspect of it. But one thing I did want to bring up, Maddie, and I bring this up as a woman who has my own body issues. I've definitely been to therapy for body dysmorphia. It is very public knowledge that the entertainment industry is not kind to those of us who are not emaciated yeah. or have like certain proportions something I genuinely appreciated about how Amy looked in this movie is she looked like a woman who still was hot as a fox, but clearly had just had a baby because she had full figure, not a tiny waist, a bum. And even in the cute little A-lines with this accentuating, she had a realistic human body for someone who had just given birth while still looking absolutely fabulous. And I definitely appreciated that. To your Me point too. though- is that enough for us to say that undid the feminist angle of the first movie? I don't think so. And I agree with you there. I do. Because also bring back that actress who she's Michaela from Bones, but she was Nancy's best friend. And she was like helping Giselle run the business. Oh, that's right. At the, at the end. end. Yeah. 
literally have her if it's a scene where also now I'm going to get a little Disney political for a second. Come at it. Disney since COVID has been fighting the idea of adding maternity and paternity leave because like Universal working for Universal, uh, both uh, parents uh, or either parent, no matter what your gender or if you've had the child or if your partner's had the child, you get six months of paternity or maternity leave. If both mm-hmm. of you work for you both get it. Disney has been fighting that. And in my thought, this would have been a great moment for Robert to say, I'm taking six months off. You can right. operate without that would have also been a great opportunity. These would have been those moments at the beginning of like them handing keys over, and it would have been a great Jody Benson cameo again. Where was Jody be- Benson? My queen, my first also, princess. All of the other women who have been Disney princesses since the original. Where was um Olali, who was Moana? She yeah, would have been where's gr- Kristen Bell, who could have flown back Bell? and forth. Yeah. Well, also. Alali, I thought would have been a great to be the mean girl at Morgan's school. Oh, that like, would have been if, fun. Like, yeah. And Nika Noni Rose could have been a teacher. She could have been in the town. She could have been, she, you know what, having Mandy Moore as the woman that runs the dress boutique, like all of these oh, women. Yeah. Who, I mean, Mandy Moore just finished This Is Us. I'm sure she's got something huge going on, but like there were all of these people who have done the Disney movies recently that I think would have been, I mean, Kelly Marie Tran as, mm-hmm. I mean, she was just Raya. Um, uh, Haley all- Bailey, we could have snuck that in, which it, ah, I wish I could say I was surprised that people are still mad about a black Ariel from her last conversation. It's just gotten worse. I hate this country. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those like yeah bring in those young or um it would have been so great if they could have gotten the uh dominique thorne who just played mm-hmm. Riri williams in wakanda forever have them as, as or rachel of- ziegler who is going to be snow white oh, coming up white? have them be the mean have them be all the popular girls at yeah. at, at morgan school and again they would have just been little cameos but knowing this was also being filmed during covid in another country also makes sense i was shocked that we had two giant production numbers with literal hundreds of dancers. Which was beautiful to see. I, I love the ballroom, the town square. I mean, again, I, I keep coming back to like, those are the beautiful moments that reminded me of the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella, mm-hmm. because that was like the prince is giving a ball all the way to um, 10 minutes ago. Um, you know, those glorious, big, like colorful, vibrant, full, like track photography, musical numbers. And you know, for me, when I put that in perspective of like, okay, yes, obviously, like, didn't get, you know, the women's lib movement, definitely didn't get queer representation, which we're going to have to talk about at some point. Um, but I did get my big, beautiful gay musical numbers. And those were just like, yes. oh. they were lovely, because like, that was the best part of the original film. The original film only had, I think, three songs in it. But with with uh well with people yeah let's see um happy working song how does yeah. she know and so close which really wasn't like yeah the same kind was, of production number yeah. it was Absolutely. like wedding singer at a corporate event do i mean mm-hmm. that's that's horrible about john mclaughlin yeah. but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah but you know it no absolutely so this one having six musical numbers was a little a little strange for me it yeah it was just it was just, it just felt off. Like everything about this. Can I tell you, I feel mm-hmm. like everyone that worked on this in the writer's room and behind the camera, 
I feel like they saw the movie once when it originally came out and didn't, they didn't do any rewatching. They didn't look mm. at the original. They didn't revisit it at all. Well, you know, what's interesting for me. And, and again, I wish I could go on Disney plus and like screen cap a little bit better. I mean, I know you can't screen cap, but like pause on Disney plus because when they showed those scenes that were kind of supposed to be from the first movie, did you see how blurry they looked? Uh huh. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think you used any original footage. Mm-mm. I don't even think you used like the original audio track. Now I know there was the scene of like Morgan mm-hmm. watching them get married, which was not in the original movie. So I get like them having to do that, but there were even moments of like, where was that the hairdresser scene? Yes. You know, where was yeah. the scene of them in the car? Where was where was them at the Italian restaurant? Like I didn't if I saw those, they were way too blurry to tell. And I think that was intentional. Yep. I do too. I, cause I think it probably came down to rights having to pay those original animators and, um, well, and the animation Maddie, yeah, like was this James it, Baxter? Cause I, no, I looked really hard. It was not. It was not. And it looks bad because what something I said in the original is Adina looked beautiful animated. She did. I, I don't think anyone looked particularly beautifully animated in this film. The cheekbones were a little strange rough. for me. Yeah. Also, why did they, why did they shade Morgan really dark? Like it just, it all felt weird. The nose actually with Morgan is what bothered me. And again, I noticed this as a Jewish woman. I know I keep dropping my heritage because you know, I have to. Um, Well, I mean, anti-Semitism is everywhere and the more we need to discuss it because it is so ingrained in our society and entertainment and it's things because even talking about like how goblins are perceived in Dungeons and Dragons is just purely anti-Semitic which is somebody who loves playing a goblin I even have not thought about because that's never how I would take a goblin character even playing like a goblin jeweler or something right well, in Harry Potter, I mean, God, oh, there was there was the scene um, when somebody. Now, I do know that this is like an authentic building in an actual location, but when they go to Green Gods and you look down at the floor, it's a Star of David, well, and it's one of those things of like, I know you booked this location, but if you even had one Jewish person on set, maybe they would okay. have said something. <laughs> but it was rebuilt for. Uh, it was rebuilt for Deathly Hollows because that was built as a set. They didn't go back to that original building. And it also exists in the Escape from Gringotts right at Universal Studios, Florida. It is there. So, you know, that's we we could scream about anti-Semitism and transphobia with Harry Potter for hours. That oof. You get so angry. But of all is- the hills for her to die on, that is not what I that's not the one I called. I gotta be honest. Jeez. It's so true. But yeah, it's the animation really detracted for me. It was not fun. Because can I tell you, I even liked that like the Disney Channel Rapunzel series was more whimsical and fun looking than this. I was like, you didn't even have Disney Animation Studios, Disney Toon Studios. You had none of those animate this. Like that looked like so out of house. Like it just. It was not, it didn't have the same charm. You know, it felt like, it felt like a contract job. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. did. A rushed contract job too. And what I think I, you know, I made this note. I wasn't sure, but is this the first Disney movie since Enchanted to have hand-drawn animation in it outside of the Heffalump movie? Movie. I think so. Then that makes I me really so. sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because this also, because it's hand-drawn, yes, but it also looks like they hand-drew drew it in a vector program and then kept it going and digitally animated the rest of it. Like, it just, 
it looks really rough because like i would have even been fine if they had gone with a more dreamworks style of 3d animating it it would have been fine but that would have cost money and they clearly i mean because i will say this movie once the spell hits looks expensive it does that's one thing is disney costuming looks expensive they even Though the only thing I will say is Morgan's dress when she comes back from Andalasia is an absolute cosplay copy of it. It's what I call the regional theater version of the of the <laughs> um, of the live action Cinderella dress. The lady working from her house at for Halloween to sell on Etsy kind of mentality, which yeah, no shade to the good people, but like no, better than community theater, you know, replication of it, but it did. And it looked beautiful in the actress. I love that. She was very, what I'm going to call normal shaped. I yes. love that. She, I, I thought, she, uh, but I also thought she's stunningly beautiful. Like I, it's why like, cause I went, how is, again, I'm going to say, y'all need to book her for your upcoming Broadway musical. I'm shocked that she wasn't in. Apparently she's just a college student who sings really well. I know she has some acting credits, but she was, I was expecting like a University of Michigan student at least. She did. Um, she was in the tour as a as a teenager, younger teenager. She was in the tour of Christmas Story that was at Madison Square Garden. That is oh. her only credit. Okay. So she does. So she has like because I looked her up on Broadway World immediately Playbill, but she has nothing on Playbill. Um, but she does have that Broadway World credit for the Madison Square Garden Christmas Story. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, okay, oh. so I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. This is Wandavision the musical. This was one. You know, when she said it, I can't unsee it. Like it's the exact same concept, but the power set is different. But I don't think the storytelling technique is different. If they had really leaned into Disney-fying WandaVision, this would have been an episode. This would have been one of the the flashback. Um, And this is... Yeah, it just for me. I then it went. Was oh, arms all alone. <laughs> <laughs> but then that makes me go great. We need to get Maya Rudolph and Coven of Chaos. Let's do it. Why not? You know. <laughs> yeah, it's the morning after she wakes up. I'm seeing. Hold on. What did I say? I'm seeing. Why socially do they think that stepmothers? Oh, okay. You brought this up, and I'm gonna bring this up. In the original movie, something that wins Morgan over toward Nancy and towards Giselle is when Giselle goes, not all stepmothers are evil. It's actually quite the contrary. And then she does say Edward's stepmother is absolutely lovely, uh, which we knew was, you know. With Susan Sarandon being a baddie. But why... Why are we then going, okay, if it's replicating Andalasia, why is this the storytelling element they wanted? Unless maybe Amy Adams said, I want something fun to do, and this is what they chose to do. And I think that's absolutely it, because I can't imagine as an actress going back to playing the part that I did 15 years ago exactly the same way, because there's no creative challenge there. There just isn't. And as as nuanced as she was, she is the most nuanced actress who has ever brought a cartoon character to life. Because even though you buy that this woman was originally a cartoon character, that does not make her two-dimensional, yep. which is her Amy's skill is specifically. Yes, it is Amy's skill. And I, and I have a feeling that that was probably the caveat. Honestly, it's like, then give me something to do because I'm a multi-Oscar nominee and just playing, just doing what I did 15 years ago is not enough to bring me back. 
do you think they could have given it so that the final, like the final fall of the stepmother fully taking over would have been at like the 11 o'clock strike so that it, so that we still saw Giselle fighting it more the whole time, because really with the exception of at the well, and then right near the end, it's the stepmother the whole time. Like they really heavily get Giselle out of it though. Do you think this is the most effective way to tell that story in 2022? Cause I looked up the statistic and as of, I think 2019, something, <laughs> some it's some statistic of like 48% of American households are now made of blended families. Mm-hmm. Is that the story we really want to tell in 2022? Is it the most effective? Could we have done something else with that? I love giving her powers. I love that suddenly the, the moment you're an evil queen, you automatically have power. I do. I love that the love... moment you're an evil queen, you automatically have a cat because that is like, I love powers. it. <laughs> that was really that I thought was really fun, but it was those moments of, I was like, was this the easiest way or did they just decide this was going to be the, the quickest and easiest way to get them out of a writer's room quickly because writer's rooms are notoriously expensive because rewrites are very expensive. And we saw that they had to do reshoots. I wonder how much of this came down to the reshoots. It could have. And I, I don't know how much we will ever know publicly, but I, I think my question to you, Maddie, and this isn't meant to be con- confrontational, yeah. but if this is not the story that you wanted to be told as the sequel to Enchanted, what is the story you would have wanted to be the sequel that, to Enchanted? That's so hard because I think the bow they gave us originally was really lovely. Um, I do love the idea. I think the idea of moving to the suburbs and Giselle, she was already an outsider. But as Heather, you know, anybody that moves from New York City to somewhere else, New Yorkers going anywhere else. Listen, even me going back to Orlando is a culture shock. And I grew up there and I'm just like, oh, damn, have I changed? Have you changed? Was it always like this? Like I'm a Southerner growing up, but then like living in New York city and then living in New York state for so long, New Yorkers, the moment and it's New Jerseyites as well. I'm looking at you, New Jersey. Looking um, at you, Hoboken and Jersey city. Absolutely. You're, you're always an outsider. No matter where you go, you will stay that Jersey neighbor for 40 years. Like you could have moved there 40 years before, but you're still the Jersey neighbor. Mm-hmm. You still, still say use guys. It's still New Jersey, but like, <laughs> it's the same thing with New York as well. That like, New Yorkers are always the outsiders and I love that they went to, uh, to central New York or, you know, Hudson Valley. It's not quite central New York. Um, that makes a ton of sense because they are a different breed of New Yorkers. Hudson Valley folks are different than New Yorkers though much like it is in this commuters all live up there. So it is a lot like New York city in many ways in mentality. So then to have Giselle, I would have liked it if they'd gone into Connecticut or they'd gone into Pennsylvania Mm-hmm. like somewhere i mean the location really doesn't matter but if Monroeville had been a little different but because uh, i love this confrontation they were setting up of giselle was a business owner she is still a business owner um and she's trying to meet other women and realizing that maybe she had thrown herself into her career and her life with robert and morgan and like the people that worked for her business but maybe giselle didn't have that many friends in new york either because the beyond that again they did talk about it as um they never talk about what happens 
the purpose of your fantasy world is to find your happily ever after and the rest of it is a cakewalk. So then Giselle was living in her happily ever after and then moving to the thing and then maybe having a magical uh, MacGuffin come in. I don't know how to do this otherwise unless you've got... I, I don't know if it's somebody following through or what I did think is I was like, Giselle can't be the first person person from a fairy tale world to come through a portal and stay in our world. Oh, like if she encountered other people along the way, I, we're in hiding. I thought they'd set it up perfectly. And again, this is hard because at several points I said, this is just once upon a time. This movie is just once upon a time. Um, to have Maya Rudolph's character have been an exiled witch, an evil mm. queen from a fairy tale world. She was thrown into a portal and she ended up in central New York. And so she, you know, much like Regina in Once Upon a Time at the beginning, didn't have her powers, but she still had the charm, the charisma, and the natural refinement of being a queen. Mm -hmm. Naturally, because what's the first thing that a queen has kind of become? You're kind of become a politician or a realtor. Like it becomes a realtor. Like, <laughs> That for me, tweaking that a little and then Giselle needing, and then maybe it is one time that she sees Nancy and Edward come through um come through the portal in the fountain. And then from there on, and she sees the wand. I think the wand is not the bad MacGuffin because I will die. I on think the, the baby's the bad MacGuffin because they, they kind of, I can't believe I'm saying this. They kind of abandon the baby at the end, they do. but they do. It's like, leave her with the babysitters. Now we're going to have the climax. It's like, Oh, also I'm sorry. When they walked up and introduced themselves to them when they moved in and I was like, Oh, well, red, green, blue. I yep. have the three fairies and it happened. Laura, Fauna and Merryweather. <laughs> ooh wee, three useless fairies. We love them. And then when they were actually fairies, I went, ooh wee. <laughs> um yeah, I think I think Giselle should have always had the baby with her. Like have she needed to be a um a Bjorn, a Bjorn parent, like always have that baby strapped to her. Um and, and, you know, it's just a thing where like all the other moms in that town, their husbands commute and they volunteer, they have a job, but it is a community driven job. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like largely unpaid by the way. Uh, well, and, but you know, the one woman is the realtor that makes sense. And I think the other two do work for her at the realtor, uh, at the real estate office. Mm -hmm. But I think really having Giselle kind of come into that, she's a princess, you know, she's that animated character. But she had a career and, she, you know, figuring out New York is difficult because they've been in New York for even if we say, what, Morgan's in high school. So maybe Right. The let's also be clear. The timeline is definitely not the same timeline as the real world, I because as we discussed, Morgan would have been in college if this was Morgan would have been in college. I, I think maybe it's been 10 years, not 15 in the story, because mm -hmm. I also like to think that maybe Morgan's transferring her senior year. Like I, I felt that, honestly. I did. Um, I, I also like that they didn't lean into the prince too much, but he was adorable. He was, he was lovely. Cute. Um, I did root for them, and I was like, God, can uh, I really? I care more about them, honestly. Um, and I did love that she was like, I just need to let him know that I'm not a flake, and that he was like, Let me help you, no questions asked. Yeah, uh, I did think it was funny of like, off. wait, when the clock strikes twelve, let's just put a sword in the cogs, then it won't strike exactly. twelve. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, that was, those were those moments that were great. But I think literally, and then Maya's like, wait. 
why isn't it strike 12? And it's like, yeah, bitch, you've no. been talking, you've been monologuing for six minutes. You haven't noticed. And I, I think if it, I think it would have been even better if it had been Giselle has this magic and she's, uh, so it kind of be Willow in season six of Buffy, mm-hmm. where Willow is using magic or, without people knowing. And it just at this one end, the, the, my Rudolph's character goes, there's something like she, when she when Giselle goes oh well the place I go you know if she went the kingdom I came from the town I come from and it's these little things that just get dropped and then she sees Giselle performing magic once or she sees Nancy and Robert coming through or Nancy and Edward coming through the the portal and then she sees the wand in the home and whether she's from Andalusia or not then those are those moments where she's trying to get but Amy maybe Giselle is getting too wrapped up in fixing everything with magic every time and she just can't fit in and she's ignoring Morgan. I think there would have been a natural way to go um, and have that fight with Morgan where she's like, you're just my stepmother be halfway through the movie instead of a quarter way through the movie mm-hmm. um, could have been just the smallest ways to tweak it. But then to have where uh, she gets the wand and also, okay, Heather, they set up something with having Giselle being found in the forest, which we did not know in the original we movie. We did not. And so I went, Giselle's going to go to use the wand and can't because she's not actually a child of Andalasia. I was like, what if that actually happened? I didn't and, even think about uh, that. That's galaxy brain. Literally, they literally set up some things. And then the whole thing is Giselle's finding a way for like magic or Pip is there. And then she keeps trying to use the wand in camp. But then maybe Maya Rudolph's character is the sister. Could have been a changeling situation. Changeling situation. Um, uh, And like maybe Nancy can use the magic because she is now a true daughter of Andalusia. I want to write fan fiction now just from this one conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what's so funny is a friend of the pod, my friend Ashley Griffin is texting me right now because she and I have been talking about the movie too because she watched it. It was like, I'm 10 minutes in and I hate it. Please tell me what you think. (laughs) (laughs) We do a deep dive. So we might actually end up doing a second episode. I love it. Why not, man? There's lots to talk about because here's the thing. The reason we are so critical is because when you are a company like Disney, and we've already talked about how like there is no such thing as ethical consumption. These are stories that, despite the medium, are going to permeate our culture in some way, shape, or form. Specific, I mean, there have been books, movies, documentaries, college theses written about, like, the damage that Disney princesses have done specifically to Mm -hmm. children who grew up in the millennial generation. None of this should be shocking to your viewers, But the reason that we are so critical and we are so passionate is because, although it may seem like, ah, it's a made-for-TV movie, with any other company, it would be. But because it is Disney, we have to hold them accountable and to higher standards than we would to any other medium because they do, scientifically proven, pretty much, have a direct impact on our culture, on our children, on our generations, on feminism and also on workers rights Mm -hmm. honestly you know it's funny we were talking originally in our first interview about you know how much of a dichotomy there is between being an employee at disney and how much money the company makes because Mm -hmm. historically employees who work in anaheim and employees who work in the buena vista area are economically in poverty 
There are yep. stories of Disney employees who live out of their cars in the parking lot to then go and work 12 hour shifts, 18 hour shifts. And we also just recently talked about, you know, the fact that Disney, in spite of all this, still doesn't have benefits for working moms, benefits for working fathers, no paternity leave, no maternity leave. As of this recording, Bob Chapek has made some incredibly detrimental decisions, stripping perks away, making it even harder. The housing crisis, which we were talking about last time, has only gotten worse with New Yorkers, Mm -hmm. like in this story, moving from New York to suburbs, sometimes states away, and causing this inflation bubble to happen. None of this exists in a bubble. And we have to be aware that the stories we tell not only, you know, are a reflection, but in some ways move forward or take back some of the progress we are making or are going to make. And that includes a made-for-TV movie like Disenchanted. Well, and let's be honest, Disney bullied, bought, and uh, stole their way to being the only animation studio and the voice in animation and the voice in this kind of filmmaking for years. And so they set a very high bar for themselves. So we must hold them to that standard. Also, when we have places like Disney that literally funded the Don't Say Gay Bill to the tune of $250,000 to $300,000 to make it happen. And knowing that people's vacation money by going to Disney is funding literal evil things and not in making sure, because like Disney's fighting their unions right now who are trying to battle for more pay. Because an, uh, to make a to successfully live on your own in Orlando right now, you need to be making about $25 an hour. And what are Disney employees making currently? They are making between 15 and 17 an hour, typically starting, depending on your role, the same at Universal Studios. And everybody is screaming and they're complaining that they don't have enough people. But yet Bob Chapek said they're going to start doing rollbacks. They're doing layoffs and they're going to start um, uh, doing hiring freezes again. And that is why the reservation system still exists so that they can understaff. So people have been screaming about how dirty the Disney parks have been, how overflowing the garbage cans have been. And I was like, yeah, that's intentional. And Epcot's a dirt Except for like one or two rides. It's true. Stop going. And Disney tickets are literally about to go up another $40 a day. $40 a day. Like all of these things are in the news. You can see it. I'm not trying to be hyperbolous about it, but it's just they hold themselves to a standard. And they're literally fighting. So this was a thought I had. Are you as sick as I am about seeing stories where everyone loses their agency and the female or queer secondary lead having the what's wrong with me story the entire time? Like, that's all they really did with this. To which I would say, what queer character in this movie, Maddie? Exactly. I I mean, I was saying Morgan is like the female secondary character because it's either a female character or a queer character. It's not both. Sure. But one of the complaints we had about Enchanted is that the only queer representation, if you could call it that, is that moment where Edward is knocking on the doors in the apartment buildings and he comes across a leather daddy who's just like, hey, hot stuff. And Edward's like, ooh. I guess their answer to that is no queer characters whatsoever in this particular story. Now, does every story have to represent every single population? No. It does not. Fair. But I also found it very interesting that they made it very clear that the wand would work for a son or daughter of Andalasia and not a child of Andalasia. Yep. 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 Where's the non-binary rep? Yep. Nowhere to be found. And in fact, it's almost exclusionary by pointing it out 
that way. And that's kind of where I'm like, where's the messaging there to the because kids who are watching this? Let's be honest. Disney will always side with their more conservative viewers, which is making up most of their viewership. The Disney gays do not represent everything. And honestly, it can be as simple as like, look at Lightyear. I thought it was handled beautifully in Lightyear. Yeah. It was simple. It was soft. It was easy. And again, it didn't. And also Strange World is about to come out um, mm -hmm. and it is their first LGBTQ um, protagonist. Um, it is a complete cast of people of color, all voiced by people of color. So I do think that is great. And again, that's not the company doing that. That's the people who are making the movies being allowed to do that. But the right. company isn't doing it themselves. It's the people who are making these movies who were asking for that representation themselves. It's happening a little bit in Marvel. Um, it happened beautifully in Wakanda Forever. There was a lovely moment. It was so nice. At the end, I went, oh, of course. That <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for everybody who hasn't seen it because this is coming out in a couple of days. But I think it's just those moments of it's easier. Disney doesn't have to worry about people fighting back because they know this was going to be one of the most viewed movies because it was also like in Hocus Pocus 2. They could have made any of those characters queer, any of those women, and it would have been great. And they didn't of those of our three new coven. Um, and we did so, have Ginger Minge. Yay. That's a, conversa that's a conversation for off. <laughs> yes, that's Ginger what I meant. Yay. Yes, Ginger Minge, the shining example of what, how good queer people can be. Woo. But it did have cornbread this time. It did have cornbread. Come on now. <laughs> and, and Kimora Hall. We cannot commit. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say that the memory tree, being the strongest magic there is, is the most J.K. Rowling bullshit ever. That was the worst for me, that was the worst fucking thing. Grandmother Willow and then Colors of the Wind. I was just Nancy. about to say, was it specifically a Willow tree because Alan yeah. and Steven, the songwriting team, were working on it? It had to be. And then and then Love Power is kind of Colors of the Wind, sort yep. of. But the Love Power, but that song, like Adina sings the shit out of it, but the lyrics are bad. That all, I do not like a single song in this movie, <laughs> except maybe the one that she sings to Morgan when she's dying, when Giselle is dying. Like, but Maddie, um, I would argue, sing it back to me. Exactly. Uh, what What are the tunes that you took away from this movie? Well, there, because for uh, me, it's love power and and what is obviously going to be the next drag duet in every gay bar. Oh the yes, country. the the villain the villains bosom buddies. But I, I will no. But can I tell you the colors of the wind, the magic, uh, love magic? It's literally a gross mix of show yourself and into the unknown, and it's not as successful as either. It sounds like a Bobby and Crystal Lopez song, and it's not without the um, lyrics because it's because yeah. when you think about it, it's just love power love power yeah. yeah love power yeah so, come on steve what were you what were you, come on so did I, they give I, you a slightly I, bigger stipend or was that just uh, like right? this is what i get <laughs> but, uh, steven and alan didn't write the music did they yeah they did oh that's disappointing that's you know what i feel like this is a situation of like when greg barnes did costume designs for dream girls on the west end he's very much like i give them the work that i am paid to give them and it was the first time i've seen a greg barnes costume design that i went mm, not not as successful as it could be and he's very upfront that he was like i was not paid great for that i gave them exactly what they asked for and i was like good on you bro so it might have been the exact same thing because it could have been like the andrew lloyd weber a phantom sequel thing for all the producers where it was love never dies where where it was like originally in the contract that if he ever produced it they had to put in the same amount of money that they put into phantom to produce it and that's what happened um oh, what a beautiful I, mess i think heather as we kind of start moving towards the end that like yeah 
where the original is a love letter and a reference to all these wonderful mouse movies of like 60 years of legacy before it, it feels like this was just an inex in an inexpensive copy and paste of things that make Disney movies successful in 2000 to now, 2009 to now. Um, like I feel like Nancy song was written by a senior musical theater composition major like for showcase no like they I would think... have had better lyrics <laughs> well it depends on what school you went to i think but i think I, but you know what when the the musical theater composition places that i go to if if i can be catty for just a moment if anything oh, i yes, think please. a lot of them try too hard with their lyrics and oh yeah that's oh, kind yeah. of the charm of it where you're like wow you just shoved like purple probes all up in there and this was just mm-hmm. i I agree with you. Not the best lyrics um, for the power ballads, especially. And and I do agree with you that the songs felt more like soliloquies than they did as far as narrative plot devices to move the story forward. Where I think you and I disagree with personally, Maddie. Yeah, please go. Yeah, yeah. Is that I bought it for what it was, which at the end of the day was a made-for-TV movie featuring the original movie cast. Yes. So for that... I say it was a seven out of 10. I enjoyed it. I will recommend it. I don't think there's anything offensive in it. And maybe that is actually part of the problem in that they didn't take enough risk with the story. Um, I think it's a lovely delight and I wish I had it on DVD, which I don't think they'll, they'll put out Mm -hmm. because I really do just want to like press and pause, press and pause. Um, but is it going to replace Enchanted for me? Absolutely not. But I didn't expect it to. Right. And that's where I give my rating for it. I did want it to be as rewatchable as Enchanted. And other than uh, sitting down to see more hidden, I think more carefully hidden Easter eggs, this doesn't have a rewatchable level. Where it's the one thing that I think I will occasionally rewatch Hocus Pocus 2. I don't see myself wanting to rewatch this. Which and I think is just, now can I can I tell you I think maybe it's also just my internalized anger at Disney, but I think this movie's inability to capture the magic and inspiration that the original best sums up the ongoing issues with Disney as a company and what they're not able to do because they're trying to just create things to make money. The company is failing, and this is an example of where it's failing along the way. The bubble of Disney is going to pop soon. And I think that's the other reason I get very heated about when people are like, oh, you're just a Disney adult. And, you know, it's just a stupid theme park. I'm like, no, I'm someone who grew up in Orlando. And I know exactly how this is a microcosm of how this is going to affect not just the economy of my hometown, but the economy of my state, the economy of my country, and how it's going to affect like media as a whole. Like this is a much bigger issue the fissures are showing in the cracks Mm -hmm. this is not a pliable movable bubble it is a bubble made of glass and the ceiling is cracking not because we're hitting new progressive boundaries but because the pressure is cooking it is a matter of when not if and the parks showing their degradation making strange choices in um, financing, the company layoffs, the overexpenditure of the goodwill of the Disney Mm -hmm. employees who chose to Mm -hmm. stay. Um, And really, like, I think we were in a sweet spot with Marvel, but that original phase, phase one and phase two, technically, are 
winding down and phase three has not been as successful. I think this is not going to be like a linchpin, but it's definitely a, it's definitely a warning sign that you're not going to get what you originally saw. And I think it does have to crash and burn before you can build it again. That all being said, Mm -hmm. I still liked it. Yeah. But that's fine. I I think everybody should watch it. I definitely think everybody should watch it. For the cast alone, guys. Like, don't like give the love to the Broadway people. My girl Anne needs those residuals. Let's go. Let's get them the residuals. Though, if Disney is the thing, I'm sure they're not making money based on views. Um, I don't know if it was a buyout contract or not, and I'm not comfortable. I mean, with Disney, right? But with Disney, I can assume if you know what the contracts are like with Disney, it's never really on the side of the artist. But I mean, if Scarlett Johansson had to go and fight you know it's bad it's the only i've ever supported her was in that and her and emily blunt and, and jennifer lawrence all of them yeah. have, not jennifer, uh emily blunt and um emma oh, stone emma stone uh, yes for cruella. cruella that's right um you know it's but like uh, to bring up you were in orlando in the late 90s just before the millennium celebration when and then just after the i millennium, was there for the cake Oh, I when they the- made the castle into that nasty ass pink cake. <laughs> but you all, you remember just after the Millennium Celebration when literally Toontown was falling apart and there was cracks in the paints everywhere and nothing was happening because the company was mad with how Eisner was spending money. So they cracked down and everyone stopped coming. Yep. You know, 98, 99, nobody was coming. And then in like, well, with the exception of Animal Kingdom opening. And then, but Animal Kingdom was reviewed terribly. And then like 2001, 2002, after 9-11, 2003, like my band director would not let us go to Disney uh, for a trip because he said it was so run down two years ago when he was there with the band that he was like, it was so worthless, worth the, not worth the money. And even then it wasn't as expensive as it is now um, to go. So this is and just- And the animation when- studios closed very soon thereafter after thank you home on the range um but can i say actually i watched that movie for the first time a year ago and i actually really like that movie i just think it was i think it was the i think that was a linchpin moment that was started with like chicken little and some other ones that just they pushed out so much at one time that actually on its own home on the range is not a bad film but Uh, when you compare it to beauty and the beast well, or even, or even Tarzan, you know, Planet Tarzan Atlantis. I will say one thing: uh, Disney and Loungefly had got smart because they're letting uh, Loungefly and Box Lunch produce a lot of Atlantis merchandise right now. Which I God bless Loungefly. Like I love, I love their work specifically. I, I, w- I wish. If I had was. more money, I would be one of those Disney adults who there, collects. I swear. There's no reason that they're eighty dollars, though. No reason. Absolutely no, no reason. No. no reason um but i i think this is one of those things that if you're aware and i do think this is just me saying people need to be aware like i'm uh i'm locked in at a very low disney plus rate i probably pay a quarter of what everybody else pays for disney plus because of some finagling i got at the beginning um i I, i'm using a shared password Listen, but you know what? I like, I personally love Marvel right now because I thought WandaVision, I thought Miss Marvel and I thought She-Hulk were exemplary. Um, And so I just like the storytelling. I love those characters. So I am excited for what's happening. Um, We'll see what happens after uh, House of uh, Coven of Chaos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just I won't do anything for Catherine Hunt. And I think our little Joe Locke from Heartstopper is going to play Wiccan. It hasn't been official, but there's no other role he could be playing. No other role. 
obviously, he looks like Billy Kaplan. So you know, I think it's those things. But I think people actually need to be conscious of how their money is being spent, especially people who call themselves allies. This is the moment. Demand more out of Disney because you're also having people who cannot afford to exist in what happens when the market falls out and people stop coming to Orlando or stop going to Disney because Universal's got a shiny new park coming. And um, yeah, um, they're more ethical in many ways. Uh, you know, it's people are going to stop going to Disney and the only people that are going to lose is going to be the Disney cast members. And you're going to have people that are stuck in Orlando because they're already stuck. But the executives will move on to other media companies and have cushy CEO jobs, but the cast members will stay in their cars. I I think all in all, as kind of my final two thoughts, that this movie lacked yeah. everything that made the original great. It seemed to be made by people who didn't even have a working knowledge of the legacy and charm of a Disney film and how Disney film storytelling worked. And um, they tried to weave a spell that just didn't work at all. And ultimately for me, with the last five years of reboots and sequels, I think that maybe happily ever after needs to be enough for us most of the time mm. because maybe what's beyond will break up the magic of what came before because we should be funding new stories we should want to see new stories all people that are in our age group and younger should want people like them telling their own stories with the actual resources and money of companies like disney so i think that was just kind of my thought after this is they could have done so much more and not spend a single penny more than they spent uh, actually, probably less because they might not have needed the re the reshoot. So I think just kind of final thoughts. That's Ooh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What are your kind of fine? Our final thought as we're wrapping up. Good made for TV movie could be the end of the apocalypse. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> no, I love that. You know, or the start I, of the apocalypse. I don't know. We're already in the apocalypse though. Like you, you know, because we went through COVID, and now yeah. we're going to go through inflation. I mean, yeah. times and are hard. Probably. Yeah. And probably yeah. war, like, war and Disney doesn't always great during wartime. So, <laughs> yeah. so like for me, the movie was a nice little bit of escapism, but in the background, there's trouble a brewing in River City or in Monroeville in this case. Monroeville. Uh, well, actually, because uh, Disney moved all their execs to Celebration and, and uh, Mount uh, uh, Lake Nona, there's trouble brewing in Lake Nona. So, Oof. uh, Heather, thank you so much for coming back on. It was so good to have you when here. When you messaged me and were like, do you want to do a follow-up? I was like, do I? And I'm so oh, glad you thought of me. This was a delight. I, I miss I was, you. <laughs> I miss you too. I was going to reach out like a month ago. And then I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be back out at sea yet when mm -hmm. it comes out. So I will wait till that wake and see. And then I was like, listen, I got nothing but time. I know you're a busy lady, but, but let's make some time. <laughs> Only because so, I have a crappy corporate job. But, uh, listen, you know. but I know you do some Twitch streaming and I you do. have some creative things going on so where can people find you online to partake more of you absolutely so i have some twitch streaming i have a channel called gilbert got a game where i focus on narrative stories and uh breaking it down while i foolishly try to crack the puzzles um recently we did i i say we because i have a streaming partner as well pavel the barbarian bard recently we did um, the Wolf Among Us, we're currently doing True Colors, Life is Strange from that franchise. Mm -hmm. um, also, no, I do want to say this is definitely not 
in line with Disney, but I have a series that got picked up by a streaming application myself, which is very exciting, which means I'm officially a television puppeteer. And I'm just like, ah, about that. Um, Ratso is on the Troma app, Troma Now app, if you're familiar with Lloyd Kaufman's filmography. Uh It's one of his projects. Toxic um, Avenger, one of my favorites, baby. Love Toxic Avenger. Love me some Toxie. But um, yeah, definitely not Disney. Incredibly crude, but it is meant to be a mm-hmm. political satire on um, the Trump administration. And Donald Trump is a rat who uh, takes over a dumpster. And it's it's if you know Meet the Feebles, it's kind of in line with uh-huh. that as far as sensibility goes. So just like, don't be like, oh, this is a delightful, cutesy little puppet show. No, it makes Avenue nope. Q look like G-rated. So just FYI. There. I mean, it's just it being on trauma should tell you everything. You I would hope, know. but I'm just making it crystal clear, crystal clear. Um, as always, you could uh, watch or rent like Placid versus Anaconda because uh, girl needs that residual money herself. That residual. <laughs> For the Hanukkah Christmas season, please. Um, and actually, Maddie, I am filming something in January, which... The only thing I'm upset about is it is after the holidays and I'm going to have to like go to the cycle bar like three times a week instead of twice now to keep uh, the physique yep. up from mm-hmm. holiday food. Of course, but of course. Um, it's called The One Who Got Called In, in which I play an actress who mysteriously books from one of those hyped up casting director workshops. Uh-huh. But what's the NDA? I can't. I can't wait. That'll be so good. <laughs> so yeah, I do actually so have great. some things on the on the horizon. And uh I think the most immediate way you can find me is probably my Instagram, Heather.gilbert underscore, uh, because Twitter is about to explode in and of itself. Yes. Who knew? <laughs> yes, who knew? But uh, uh, yeah, come find me. I'd love to see. Oh, and I'm on TikTok. I am on TikTok now. Yeah. So I think that's also Heather.Gilbert underscore where I do uh, duets of uh, voiceover challenges and try out some musical theater singing after, you know, ruining my voice during COVID while teaching English. So here we go. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I'm the host of CPOV Autographs at CertainPOV.com. It is a bi-weekly interview series where I interview folks from all over the arts, from writers to comedians to magicians to musicians, even actors, historians, podcasters, pretty much anyone who's willing to chat with me for a little bit. If you like interesting conversations with even more interesting people, go to certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, music is life and life is good. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV CertainPOV.com